Welcome to the No Water Methodist Church Podcast, where we hope to encourage you in your spiritual journey so that you may be a blessing to your local church and to the world. This is Jeffrey Rickman for the No Water Methodists podcast. Glad you joined us again. Want to make sure everybody knows that we have a new website. We are no longer at nowaterumc.org. That website is dead. We are now at www.nowatermethodists.org. So uh, I'd encourage you to go over there to that website. It's uh, a little bit neater, a little bit cleaner. TJ's worked hard on it. Um, if I could plug something, uh, I, I would have you, if if you're amenable to it, go to the top, click on publications, and sign up to receive uh, the weekly mailing that I send out, a discipleship-oriented email, and then there's a monthly newsletter that Sarah Beth, our administrative assistant, puts together to to do the, the, the bird's eye view of all the ministry stuff. So I just think it's good to, to be encouraged in those ways and to, to be plugged in as much as you're able. So go sign up. Uh, we put a lot of work into making sure that people know what's going on. And then as always, find us on Facebook and YouTube and subscribe and and do all those things to show that you like our ministry because, uh, because we try to do what Jesus told us to. So anyway, um, today's podcast is once again the uh, Sunday uh, worship service. We as always, had our four readings from the Revised Common Lectionary, and um, it, it was it was a good service. I mean, they're all good. You know, we're all looking at the Bible. So uh, anyway, we, we talked about Acts, where the church was bold, even in the face of uh, persecution and opposition. Looked at the Psalm 118, where it talks about Jesus before he took on flesh. He's the cornerstone that was rejected. He's become the chief cornerstone. So um, then we looked at Revelation, how we're called priests, uh, where we intercede between the world and God, and we are are people uh, who are, are, well, when you look at the gospel reading, we are affecting the forgiveness of other people by God. And so we're taking that authority, excuse me, I've got allergies, we're taking that authority that Jesus himself gave us in the gospel of John when he breathed the Holy Spirit upon us uh, to retain sins and forgive sins, loose sins. Anyway, it's a big deal to be a Christian. Um, the The faith that we follow is is the biggest deal in the world, and it should be treated as such. So hopefully as you spend your time meditating on God's Word with me, that's the sense that you get. So God bless you for your time with us. I hope that this time you spend with the podcast is a blessing to you. Uh, please just continue praying for the church and supporting it in ways that you can. God's will be done. We prayed for the Holy Spirit to come. He does powerful and mighty things. We just sung and sweet our prayer that we're going to cast every care on our God, and he is strong enough to bear it, is he not? I want our hearts to be open as we receive today's scriptures. The first reading is going to be from Acts of the Apostles. Now, if you haven't read Acts recently, or at all, you need to. Um, Acts begins after Jesus, well, right as Jesus uh, ascends into heaven and the apostles are left behind. They're afraid. 
praying in an upper room for several days. Finally, the Holy Spirit falls upon them mightily. They start speaking in languages they hadn't known before. They spill out into the streets, proclaiming the mighty works of God, making many converts, healing many people, exercising demons. It was a supernatural, real historical event, not a metaphor. Church started growing leaps and bounds. People started selling all they owned to give to the church and live collectively. They worshipped and lived in each other's homes, eating meals and having fellowship together. They kept talking about Jesus and how the authorities in Jerusalem killed him, but he raised on the third day and now through the Holy Spirit was building his church across the earth. And the authorities who killed Jesus took offense to this because they're the bad guys in that story. And nobody likes being told stories about them when they're the bad guy. So they called Peter and James and John. I think it was the three of them. I should have reviewed that again this morning. They called them, they apprehended them, and they said, we don't have a problem with you exercising demons. We don't have a problem with you helping the poor and feeding people. But stop talking about Yeshua. That's how they said his name in, in Aramaic at the time. Jesus. His name means Savior. Yeshua means Savior. Salvation. Stop talking about the salvation guy that we killed. Stop talking about how we killed him. We look bad in that story. Don't do it. If you do, we'll hurt you. Keep doing the nice work. Stop talking about Jesus. But they didn't obey. They got, they got set loose, and they kept doing what they were doing. So finally, they got apprehended again. And these same people who killed Jesus are now going to review the apostles who are guilty of what they're going to be accused of. So let's hear that story. I'd welcome our first reader forward. Today's first reading comes from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 5, verse 27 through 32, which you can find on page 1535 of your pew Bibles. Listen to the word of God. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not straightly command ye that ye not teach in his name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of all these things, and so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. This is the word of the Lord. I'm going to ask you a, an uncomfortable question, and then we're going to move on, and I'm not going to preach about it anymore, but um, don't raise your hand, but just think about it. Who here has the Holy Spirit? Do you think there's anybody in a church today who has the Holy Spirit, whose Holy, the Holy Spirit is dwelling in them? It seems like a reasonable thing to expect, right? Here at the end it said, um, we are Jesus' witnesses of these things, and so is also the Holy Ghost, that's the Holy Spirit, whom God hath given to those that obey him. So if, if people here have the Holy Spirit, does that mean they're all perfectly obeying the Lord in all things? Well, then what's the point of saying that? God gives the Holy Spirit to those who obey him. Well, what sense does that make if oh, we obey him in some ways, but not all the ways? Is that what it's saying here? I don't see the point of saying that if it's just like, oh, they obey him a little bit. I surrender some. I surrender some, some to Jesus, I surrender. That's not how I surrender all. And here the Holy Spirit compels us to be obedient to God in all things. I know I preach entire sanctification sometimes. It makes people uncomfortable. Well, good, it's supposed to. We often stiff arm the Holy Spirit and say, you shall not pass. 
That's what my kids say to each other when they pick on each other at home. If anybody sees Lord of the Rings, Gandalf faces off against the Balrog. I know I'm a nerd. My kids say, you shall not pass. And a lot of people, they'll be in a relationship with the Holy Spirit, and he'll take some sins from them, and, and he'll work them over a little bit, and then they'll say, this far and no further, Holy Spirit, I really like this one sin right here. It's been a part of me all my life. I can still be saved, right? The biblical answer is no. When you withhold from the Holy Spirit, whenever you withhold from the Lord, you do not give him claim over every ounce of your life. Any ounce that you don't cede ground will come to testify against you on the day of judgment. So, be warned. Let's talk about the main thing in this verse. Um, when Peter and the apostles stood before the authorities here, did they give good news or bad news? Susanna says bad news. Is she right or wrong? I'm going to read it to you again. They said, we ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus. Is that good? Whom ye slew and hanged on a cross. Is that good for the audience? Well, it's, it doesn't feel good, but you could say it's bitter medicine. It's, it's good. They can't repent unless they accept it, right? But wouldn't have felt good. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Is that good news? How dare you say we're sinners, though? How dare you say we need to repent of anything? You're making me feel bad about myself, Peter. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Ghost whom God hath given to them that obey him. We already talked about, yeah, that's good news, but it feels kind of bad because I'd like to think I have the Spirit, but I'm not perfectly obedient in all things. I'm still withholding from God. We live in an era where a lot of people refuse a message if it doesn't feel good. I think we have a problem here. If I'm not feeling good, does that automatically mean I have not received good news? I know it's a weird question. Think about it. There are a lot of people who will say, you know, one of my favorite preachers is Vody Bauckham. I've quoted him a few times. He's this big commanding guy. I love him so much. But he will often say, you know, people, we need to hear the good news. And that is you are dead in your sins and you cannot save yourself. He starts off with all the bad news first. And you're going, Vody, people are not going to receive this. They're used to, uh, you know, sugar, easy, spiritual stuff. God loves you. He has a plan for your life. You're a special snowflake, and he's just dying to save you. That's what people want to hear. That's not what they encounter when they open the Bible. When they open the Bible, they encounter, you're a sinner. You're lost and dead in your sins. You cannot save yourself. You have a wrathful, angry God who will punish you rightfully, and eternal condemnation is all that there is for you unless you come to be in Christ Jesus, which you can't even do yourself. God does that in you. That is a terrifying message, and at the end of it is the good news. But the lead up to it, man, it's scary. And there are a lot of people who would like to just skip the setup. But the problem is, if you skip the setup, you don't really understand the ending. Think of your favorite movie. Think of your favorite movie. Now imagine only watching the last five minutes of it. Is it still your favorite movie? You never knew the hour and a half leading up to it. Is it still your favorite movie? Frank, what's your favorite movie? Gladiator. Okay, Gladiator. I can, talk about, I can talk about the Ten Commandments, too. Actually, I shouldn't talk about Gladiator. It's kind of gory. The last five minutes is pretty gory. And it's kind of cool if you just look at the last five minutes, but even so, 
you got to see Maximus and his rise and his fall. And, man, that bad guy Joaquin Phoenix plays. I don't know if you've seen this movie. If you only watch the last five minutes, you don't even know how to love and hate the right characters. You're just liking the action. And that's how a lot of people are with the gospel. They just like, get to the part where Jesus saves me because he loves me. Get to that part where he has, he loves me and he has a plan for my life. Talk about that. I don't, I don't want to hear about sin and darkness and how bad I am and how much I fail and how upset God is with my sin. No, no, let's not do that. Just tell me he loves me. Tell me he loves me. A lot of people today are very scared to preach the fullness of the gospel because what will happen if you preach at a big group of people, you are sinners, God is angry with you unless you repent. How is a group of people going to respond to that? Some will respond well. Other people will say, this doesn't feel good. I'm going somewhere else. I'm taking my money somewhere else. I'm taking my kids somewhere else. I'm going to take them to a community that makes them feel good about themselves. Let's just take a time out, though. For those of you who know my kids, do they walk around like little puppies with their tails tucked between their legs, just abused? If you've met Susanna, you know it's not like that. She, Susie, are you a sinner? Yeah. We talk about sin all the time. She's got the Ten Commandments memorized. She, we left a kid's house the other day. She and Jesse are saying, oh, we want all their toys. And we said, Susanna, what's coveting? She said, oh, I was coveting. It's really hard, isn't it? But she is learning to guard against sin from the outset. And because of that, she sees what the Lord's doing in her life, and she can glorify him better than most adults. You've seen her up here. You see how, how spiritually mature she is in a way that a lot of grown-ups are lacking. Anyway, I belabored this far too long. I, I, I asked a for a slide for JC to put a this is William Tyndale he rebelled against the authorities of his era the Roman Catholic Church was in charge and they only wanted the Bible to be in Latin because they didn't want the simple Philistines of the earth the salt of the earth people to understand what was in there they wanted them to have to go through a priest to understand William Tyndale said nope this is the people's book this is God's book for the people he translated it into English does anybody know if he was killed for it See, and I always get him confused with William Fox, who was also a, a martyr at that time, I think. so. But Tyndale was killed for this, okay? And here's what he said. Christ is with us until the world's end. Therefore, oh, sorry, let his little flock be bold, therefore. Of course, he's picking on Jesus' words, uh, the Great Commission, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me, said Jesus. Therefore, go out into the world to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And remember, I'm with you always, even until the end of the age. Jesus said it. Tyndale here says he's with us till the end of the age. We just said our confession of faith, affirmation of faith at the beginning. Can anything separate us from the love of Christ? We said that. We sung this hymn about... Uh, casting all our cares on God, we've been very clear in our words that we've rehearsed together, and yet, are we living boldly for Jesus? Yeah, some people will be bold about other things. They'll talk trash on other people's sports teams all day. Won't talk about Jesus. They'll talk trash on the opposing political party all day. Won't talk about Jesus. We'll talk about how great their family is all day. Won't talk about how wonderful their Savior is. In fact, most people would rather talk about anything other than Jesus with people who don't know Jesus. What's gone wrong? 
Now, I know all of you are eager and uh, talking to people about Jesus all the time. I know you're perfect in this. But why don't you volunteer for me? Why don't other believers often want to talk about Jesus, especially with those who don't know him? Why, why are they reluctant to tell people the good news? You're a sinner. You're dead in your sins. God is angry with your sin. He will punish you unless you repent. Christ has been sent. His blood is enough to atone for all your sins. Let me welcome you into a relationship with him. Why don't people give that message to one another generally, unless they're paid to do so? Why don't just normal Christians do it? We're not going to pass around the microphone. People on the camera can't hear you. Just tell me, what are some theories? Let's workshop this. Is it because we all just love Satan and we love disobeying Jesus? No, that's not it. What is it? Why don't people do it? Fear of rejection. Fear of rejection. I well, we are sinners, that's true. But, you know, that, that's too big. But let's talk about this fear of rejection th here. Can anyone identify with that fear of rejection? You share something precious with somebody and they, they treat it like it's not precious. Even worse, they treat it like it's offensive. It's kind of offensive to come into somebody's life and go, you're a sinner. Well, who are you to judge? Anybody ever heard that phrase before? Who are you to judge? That's a great way to shut somebody up. Who are you to judge? Of course, we're not coming to people as their judge, are we? We're telling them they're... There is a judge, and he's told us how he will judge. And you're probably not going to do very well unless you meet your judge or know your judge or whatever. We can workshop this. Is there any other reason why people are reluctant to share other than fear of rejection and, and causing offense? Or is that really it? Judgmental. Who's judgmental? We would be seen as judgmental? Okay, yeah, that fits into the offense bit pretty pretty easily i think yeah and you're definitely right there are a lot of people who 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 feel judged now if i feel judged does that mean that someone has judged me no that's silly that's like being invited to someone else's house and they keep it nice and clean and i walk in and i say i feel judged you're saying my house isn't as clean as yours no they just keep a clean house if you feel judged by it well you're judging yourself and depending on how nasty your house is you should probably clean it up you know but that's that's a whole other sermon so the only other reason i think a lot of people don't want to talk about faith is because they don't have it to offer or they know the way that they're living day by day does not please the lord so they know the truth up here but they haven't brought themselves into conformity with the truth and i don't want you to raise your hands but how much of that is your reluctance you know that you're not walking as you ought and you know that the faith you have to offer is not very compelling here, Peter and the apostles are offering Jesus, and it is offensive, and people are offended. And when the people call them to, on the rug, they say, you're doing what we told you not to do. You're offending us. You're saying that we killed Jesus. What do you have to say for yourself? And Peter goes, well, you did kill Jesus. And we're not afraid of you. We're afraid of God. If you didn't hear that, Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Saying, we're not afraid of you. We're not going to obey you. We're going to obey God. He's told us how we ought to live. We're going to do that. We don't care about you. That's the inference, isn't it? The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew, and you hanged him on a tree. They're saying, we are offended with you because you are saying that we killed him. And he's going, well, yes, you did. Not only is he not avoiding offense. He is leaning into offense. You're offended by this truth? Well, let me say it again. You killed Jesus, but you can have repentance. And that's good news. 
They didn't receive it as good news. In fact, they beat the tar out of the apostles and then set them loose. And then most of the apostles, all but one, were killed for the faith as time went on. Now, are the, is this story lifted up for us as, oh, don't be like the apostles. They were really stupid about it. Or is it lifted up as, here's what true faith looks like, and this is what we should all exam- be examples of. Everybody's nodding their head at the second one. The apostles modeled true faith. Boldness. They were the little flock whose Christ is with them till the end of the age, so they were bold. And it's written so that you and I can be bold too. Problem is, we don't often feel very bold. So what's to be done? Well, today, it's the pastor pointing his finger at you a lot and saying, be bold. But it's hopefully you going home and praying, Father, I need to be bolder in my faith. Give me the faith that I need. Hopefully it's Father, you going home and, and opening God's holy word and reading your scriptures and taking strength from that and making that your truth rather than everything else that the world gives you. Jesus said, do not fear those who can destroy your body and do nothing else to you. Fear only him who can destroy your body and cast your soul into hell. Who's that? That's the Father. That's our judge. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. When you learn to fear the Lord, you don't fear anybody else because they can't harm you. They can't touch you. It's God alone who's worthy of our fear. And when we set him at the center of who we are, we don't fear anything else. We need to move along. I feel like I've, I should just acknowledge last week I'm doing my like machine gun preaching and I finally shut up and sat down and JC got up here and he was calm and he took his time and y'all received it so well. It, it was, we were up here and then we went down here and, and it was great. And I know some of you sat there and were like, I sure wish Jeffrey would slow down and chill out like JC does. You have a high-strung pastor. I am so sorry. I cannot authentically speak about Jesus in a calm way. I get worked up. I spend all week being like a normal guy. This is my hour where I get to talk about Jesus with other people who love him. And I'm sorry I just cram so much into you, but we've only got an hour. If you want to talk about worshiping for two hours, I will chill out. Think about it. Let's, let's move on. We're not going to do the Church as One Foundation Um, So let's move on. We're going to do Psalm 118. It's on page 839 of your hymnal. And we're doing the second sung response. And Grace and I haven't practiced this together. I'm sure she'll be great and I won't. Um, How about, did you try that? Did you practice that intro? It's weird, isn't it? Yeah, Sarah Beth doesn't get it ever anyway. Um, So don't worry about it. Um, how about just me and you together, everybody just sit and listen to it. I know we did it last Sunday, but we didn't do it with grace. So just me and you, and then immediately afterwards, we'll all do it together with the intro again. There it is. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice, let us rejoice, let us rejoice and be glad. Not bad. Okay. Do the intro again. We'll all sing together. 
This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice, let us rejoice, let us rejoice and be glad. The Lord is my strength and my power. The Lord has become my salvation. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. You do that every time there's a red R. Sorry. Grace hasn't worshipped with us before, and she's a Baptist. This is a weird... Y'all don't really... I'm going to take a time out. Uh, TJ has worshipped in other communities before. We used to have uh, a lady here named Donna who was Baptist through and through. I remember for Donna, it was like worshipping with Martians, that we say so much together. I mean, that's what cults do, right? They, they, they all speak and say the same thing together in monotone. So I don't know how... First, I should have checked out First Baptist online. I didn't... But for a lot of people, it's weird, and they have not done anything like this before. So anytime you see that capital red R, we're singing that response again. Are you all ready? Okay, let's do it. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice. Let us rejoice. Let us rejoice and be glad. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice, let us rejoice, let us rejoice and be glad. Save us, we beseech you, O Lord. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you. Oh, you said that part. The Lord is God, who has given us light. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice, 
us rejoice and be glad. Y'all hear them preparing that food back there? You smell it yet? I'm so excited. All right, let's, um, let me just ask you a quick thing on this one. Verse 22, the stone which the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. What's that about? Are we talking about architecture here? What's the, what's the stone the builders rejected? What is that? Oh, I'm so glad y'all know that. This right here is the most quoted verse from the Old Testament in the New Testament. It's quoted several times throughout the New Testament because it's about Jesus. As the prophet Isaiah said, as translated through Jeffrey's Hick Oki language, people who looked upon Jesus had no idea who he was. He did not seem impressive to them. He was a peasant. He was not royalty. He was not educated. He wasn't rich. He was of no account, according to Isaiah. He filled that prophecy. And so the builders of the spiritual house of humanity of his day, they looked upon him and they said, he's not special. Get rid of him. We're not going to incorporate him into the building. But God said, y'all are fools. He is the best rock you've got. He will be the chief cornerstone. That's the stone on which the whole structure, the weight comes down on. When you think about a corner, 90 degree angle, both walls, the gravity is coming down. You put the most reliable stone there. That's what Jesus is. Humanity doesn't have the tools to acknowledge or recognize who Jesus is and how salvation works. It's God who showed us that. And there's only one chief cornerstone. I realize in a building there's many walls. Here the metaphor breaks down. There's only one cornerstone, and it's Jesus. On him, all of our salvation rests. Without him, you have nothing. With him, you have everything. Let's move on. Um, our next reading is from Revelation. This is, uh, I don't think I need to set this up. Let's just receive what it says, and then we'll talk about it. Um, I'm going to come back to the notion of priests, too. So be thinking on what does a priest do? Today's third reading comes from the book of Revelation, the first chapter, verses 4 through 8, which you can find on page 1724 of your pew Bibles. Listen again to the word of God. John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, even so. Amen. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Every book of the Bible is important. Revelation is very important. Um, it's a hard book because it's hard to know where in history are we and what's it talking about. That's questions we're supposed to be asking and figuring out together. I'm going to go ahead and make a plug for our Thursday evening Bible study at 630. It's the easiest thing in the world to click on that link on Facebook and go to a private room where 
people are talking about the Word of God, we take our time with it. We really try and figure it out. Revelation, we're not in right now. Thank God. We, we do like two verses a week. We're going to talk about the priesthood thing with the, the gospel reading. But just to be clear, what, what do priests do? How do priests work? What makes someone a priest? Am I a priest? Protestants don't have priests. Um, what makes someone a priest? I didn't hear either of you. Both Let me do David first. What was it? Okay, interpreters, sort of. It's even more explicit than that. What did you say, Frank? Okay, intervene, intercessory is usually the, the word used. But both are, there's God's word and his purity, and then there's us, us, and we are fallen and broken and sinful and not pure. There needs to be an intercessor comes between and makes nice, Okay. But we only have one intercessor, and what's his name? Jesus, the righteous. Yeah, Jesus Christ. We have only need for only one intercessor. We have only one intercessor. He is sufficient, right? This is one of the things that Catholics and Protestants split over. Protestants say there need not be any priest other than Jesus. Um, but the thing is, it says that we have been made priests here, didn't it? He hath made us kings, royalty, right? And priests. So... What does that mean? Is the Bible wrong? No. It means you and I are intercessors. All believers in common, we are intercessors. So who are we interceding between? Between God and who? Ourselves. I split myself in two, and I intercede on behalf of my bad self. With my Some people, that needs to happen, yeah. But there are a lot of people in the world who don't know Jesus, don't know God. They're standing estranged from God. God has given us his Holy Spirit, and we are now intercessors, pointing them to the true intercessor, Jesus Christ. When it says that God made us priests, it's saying you and I have been given a job to intercede between God and sinners. Now, we can't put our blood on the cross and actually atone for their blood the way Jesus did. However, we can point them to the one who bled on the cross for their sins. So it's not bad to be a priest but it's silly. Protestants just say it's silly for one priest to be a priest to other priests. That, that doesn't work. We're supposed to be a priest to those who are not even believers. So this ties into that initial message of Peter saying, we obey God rather than man. We're speaking about Jesus because that's what he told us to do. He, is, he has told us to go and make disciples. That's what we're doing. That's what priests do. Priests intercede. Hopefully it feels like these things are connected. If not, I'm just a bad preacher today, but you'll forgive me, won't you? Um, anything else? I just want to look at verse 7. It says, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of Jesus when he returns. Is wailing a, a happy thing or a sad thing? Sad thing. So does that mean Jesus coming is bad news? I'm highlighting once again, just because we feel a certain way does not mean that is a certain way. So Jesus is coming. It's going to be a bad day for many, it's a good thing, though, because he is bringing his kingdom, and his kingdom is good. So just because this sounds like bad news to some people, it's not bad news. This is the good news. But it feels different based on if you're in a relationship with Jesus or not. Am I, I've, I've been clear. All right. All right, our final reading today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 31, which you can find on page 1524 of your pew Bibles. Listen again to the word of God. 
Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he shewed them, he shewed unto them his hands and his side. Remember, they were pierced, right? Then, said the, then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. What does Lord mean? Boss. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father hath sent me, even so I send you. Is that a big deal? God sent the Son. That was a big deal. He's saying, now you're being sent like I was sent from the Father. Verse 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith to them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Remember, the Holy Ghost and obedience were tied together in that last reading. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. Remit means forgive. Retain means not forgive. Is this a big deal? Yeah. Remember when Jesus began his ministry, people came to him for healing and he would say, I forgive you. God forgive you. And people would say, who is this man to forgive sins? Jesus is saying, I'm giving that same offensive ability to you. Brothers and sisters, should we use that ability to forgive sins or should we hold everybody's sins against them? Well, a good way to answer that is, would you like your sins to be forgiven or would you like God to hold your sins against you? Jesus said, unless you forgive, you will not be forgiven. So consider that, but that's not today's sermon. Verse 24, but Thomas, one of the 12, called Didymus, that means twin, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, we have seen the Lord, but he said unto them, except I see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, man, thrust, ugh, I will not believe. And after eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas was with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, faithless but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen, and yet have believed. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written, that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ. What does Christ mean? Messiah, anointed one, the designated one. He's the Son of God. And that believing, ye might have life through his name. This is the word of the Lord. So is Jesus a big deal? My favorite title for him, it's in Hebrews, he is the author of our salvation. Actually, that's in Philippians, excuse me. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm drawn to that more and more. Jesus, everything was made in him and through him and for him. And he is bringing all things in unity with himself. And the church is evidence of that on earth, the universal church. Jesus is a big deal. Should we fear Jesus? Is Jesus rightly feared? He's the judge who stands at the end of history. Yes, he is, he is the only powerful one. Worldly powers have no power to him. Nothing can take us out of his hand. Nothing can harm us. There's nothing we can go through that chases him away. 
Jesus is the beginning, middle, and end of the universe, of our salvation, uh, of everything powerful and good in the universe, everything just. Jesus is the biggest deal in the world. So is it okay for us to fear other things, other people? I've already talked about this in worship today. It's not right. He's the only one deserving of our fear. Fear can be healthy. Fear can be good. Fear is what keeps my children from getting burned alive when we have a bonfire in the backyard, right? Fear is what keeps people alive whenever there's a, a, a rattlesnake around. Fear is healthy. Fear guards us and protects us. Fear is not an unhealthy thing. You can be weird and messed up about it, but that's your problem. Fear is a good thing. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear, without fearing the Lord, you will not be saved. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear. And sing. We can say sing too. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear. And grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Right? We sing it. It's the second verse. Oh, amazing grace. Talks about how we need to fear. And fearing doesn't feel good. Fearing is good when we fear the Lord. But the world wants to compromise us. It wants to compromise not just our loves, and we talk about that usually. It wants to compromise our fears. It wants us to be afraid of other things other than God. So I, I thought it would be a fun exercise. We're going to eat together afterwards and love each other and forgive each other. But I, I think you've noticed, and I preached about it, the news is, this is the business the news is in, is getting us all afraid, Right? So let's volunteer. What are the things that the news of the world wants us to be afraid of? They tell us to be afraid of every day. Okay, war. Okay, thinking of war in, in the Ukraine and Russia. Are we worried about war in uh, Ethiopia? No, Malaysia? No, why aren't we worried about those wars? Are people not getting killed, killed there? That's kind of weird. We're, we're concerned about one war and not others. But anyway, we, we're told we need to be afraid of, of that war and that bad guy, Putin. Okay, who else? What are we supposed to be afraid of? COVID. We're supposed to be very afraid of COVID. It was going to kill everybody's grandmothers. And it did kill some people's grandmothers. Be very afraid. What did you say? Oh, same thing. What else are we supposed to be afraid of? Famine. Okay, we're, we got food shortages going on right now. Chile, bad things are happening. Yeah, I saw a thing... Yesterday, 18 different food processing plants have burned down in the last month, I think, in the United States. Or was it a year? I don't know. It was a big deal. We're all going to die of starvation. Freak out. Okay. What else are we supposed to be afraid of? Climate change. Climate change. We're, every, mass death and starvation. It's going to be awful. Climate change. I'm not mocking. I'm not saying they're wrong. But we're supposed to be afraid of it. What else are we supposed to be afraid of? Inflation. My money's not going to be worth anything. I'm going to be taking barrels of money just to get a loaf of bread down the street. The sky is falling. What else? New World Order. Hans Schwab. No, what's his name? Carl Schwab. Klaus Schwab. Excuse me. I know my conspiracy theories. Thank you. They will own nothing and they will be happy. I know that catchphrase. Yes. We're supposed to be afraid of the World Economic Forum and the big fat cats that sit on top of the government, of big corporations, of tech monopolies. And then who's the shining knight in shining armor? Elon Musk, who's not a Christian, by the way, and he looks and talks like a Bond villain, but he's the good guy, right? That was kind of a joke. He does look and talk like a Bond villain, does he not? 
I'm trying, we're, we could go down the line. You know, I've been alive for 37 years. I remember when Slobodan Milosevic in Kosovo was the worst guy in the world. And now, what's even happening in Kosovo? Can even, anyone even tell me what's going on in Kosovo? I remember when uh, we had weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, and we had to go get Saddam Hussein, and we set up camp in Iraq, and we were going to save those people. Mission accomplished. And what's going on in Iraq nowadays? Wait, we got other things to talk about over in Russia right now. I'm kind of highlighting how I know there's a bunch of smart people on TV, and oh, they're so compelling. They get us worked about one thing, and then another, and then another, and we go from thing to thing to thing, being stressed out and worked up and afraid and angry. And where's Jesus in all of that? Is my heart stayed on him? Am I anxious about what he's doing in my life? Am I, is my fear aligned with him, or am I fearing all these other things and not even thinking about Jesus? And that's the point of the news, is to get you worried about everything other than your faith. Everything other than saving your neighbors. They want us to avoid what's coming at the end of history and think about all the little things up until then as if God's not in charge of any of that stuff. Brothers and sisters, God is in charge. There is nothing that's going to happen that can throw off his plans. There is nothing any powers in this world, even climate change, can do to ruin God's plans. There is nothing. I know that sounds like, oh, he's anti-science. I just believe God is God of science. God is the Lord of science. I believe in miracles. I believe that God is sovereign. I believe that nothing is worth fearing other than God. Now, am I saying that we need to thumb our noses at Russia and say, send the nukes? No, I'm not saying that. Just like I don't go out and challenge a tough guy on the street to a fist fight. That's not how we live. That just means that we live in the world like we're only afraid of God. We're not afraid of others. The apostles were called before the people who killed Jesus. Could they have killed the apostles? Absolutely. We would expect them to be fearful. Oh, sorry, we know you said that. We're doing our best. We just love Jesus so much. Please let us talk about him. They didn't do that. They said, we ought to obey God rather than men. We're not afraid of you. You can kill us. We're not afraid of that. They ended up dying for their faith. They weren't afraid of that. So let's end on this question. I think it's easy. Does God still deserve sold out, died in the wool, passionate believers like we read about in the Bible? Or is God going to be happy with the, the fearful, anxious, afraid, reluctant sheep that he's got right now? And you know the way I frame that. There's no way to answer that. Oh, no, he likes the fearful sheep that, that are not bold. No, I've been telling you all day, you need to be bold. We need to be bold. We need, we've only got this one life, and at the end of it stands Jesus as judge, and he is a harsh and a loving judge. We need to spend our time well here so that at the end of history, we're not going, sorry, I was such a weakling. We're going, Jesus, thank you for making me bold. I could only do it because of you.